Good morning. Mother Nature tricked you last week with 80 degrees, huh? Don't feel bad. Tricked the trees too, and they're Mother Nature. God owns the trees, and He tricked them. <laughs> anyway, we're glad that you're here today. If you're a guest, we welcome you to our services this morning and hope that you sense God here. And so we're really glad that you're all here. We're starting a new series today called Rebuild. Uh, it's a spinoff from last year's service, our series, but it's different. How many of you were here last year for Rebuild? All right. A lot of you were. I'm glad you're still here. Praise the Lord for that. And for those of you that are new, wow, praise the Lord. So new people still coming to Salem Fields, and we're glad that you're here. You know, uh, this is a little different than last year's, but we'll hear more about this year's series a little later. But during our first rebuild series, we studied the story of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah was a cupbearer. Now, a cupbearer in the king, he was a cupbearer for the king. And a cupbearer for the king, his job was, well, if you want to get rid of a king, the best way to do uh, was to poison that king. And so people would poison the wine or the food. So the cupbearer had to go everywhere that the king went. And anything that was served the king, the cupbearer had to taste it first. And if he lived, then the king would eat it. Man, that's, what, that's quite a career, isn't it? It could end like that. Uh, but uh, he was a cupbearer, and uh, Nehemiah uh, discovered who he was uh, in God, and he discovered God's purpose uh, for his life. And his purpose was to rebuild the, the broken-down walls and the burned-down gates around the city of Jerusalem. Now, in early two, uh, 2016, Gay and I believed uh, believe that God was calling us to rebuild uh, some broken down, neglected areas around Salem Fields Community Church and in Smithville, Virginia. And now we knew that God was calling us to rebuild our student ministries uh, that needed some things that would attract the youth of our community, that we just needed to equip our student ministry with some things that would excite teenagers once we got them here. They also needed a couple vans or so uh, for transportation so that they could leave this place once in a while and go to outside vents, and they needed uh, more space. That's a very small space, and they needed more space. They still need that space. And, and also our infrastructure in this room, in this building that was built uh, in uh, 1999, it opened in 1999, a lot of things were wearing out, and... Uh, and we needed to be updated. Our heating and air conditioning, they were 17 years old and they only last so long and they needed uh, replacing our computers and projectors that we kind of take for granted here. You know, they, um, they show the things on the walls, they do all kinds of things for us and, um, and the computers run our services like they run the world and, uh, and they needed updated. You know, they needed to, to be upgraded uh, and because they could no longer be upgraded, and God had gifted us with a uh, church building in Smithfield, Virginia that had been closed for a year, and we believed that God was calling us to rebuild the ministry of that church in that little southeast Virginia community tucked down there near Tidewater and Williamsburg. So why did we believe these things were important? Because as leaders of the church, uh, uh, we believed and still believe that God wanted to do a new thing in our lives, and he wanted to do a new thing in our community, and he gave us a new thing to do in Smithfield, Virginia, and around the world, and those things were very important for us uh, for that to happen. But to make these things happen, we knew that we would need additional financial resources, but we also understood that rebuilding the lives of people uh, must be a part of any endeavor of the church. You can't do anything here or anything around the world unless uh, we build one another up and build the body of Christ up in Jesus. So therefore, we followed the, uh, uh, the model of Nehemiah. Uh, uh, Nehemiah's call to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah... We don't know much about him before uh, the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the wall. Uh, other than he was a cupbearer, we don't know where he was born. We don't know anything about his life growing up. But Nehemiah was a man who was fully committed to God. He fully committed to God and he knew his identity. He knew who he was and what God's purpose was for his life. He knew that. So today we want to we want to review with you the the highlights of that series, so we can tie together the old series 
with the uh, new series, and we want to help you, uh, we want to help each of us capture the spirit of the new thing that God has been doing at Salem Fields over the last year. I hope those of you who have been here over the last year realize that God has been doing a new thing this whole year, and we want everyone, those that have just come and those who have been here a while, to capture that spirit of the very fact that God is doing a new thing here, and we get to be a part of that. And so we, as we're discovering during our identity series that a life in Christ, uh, if we have our life grounded in Christ and our identity in Christ, God has a purpose for us, for every person. We discovered during our identity service that we all have a purpose in Christ. And that purpose, you, you'll soon discover that purpose is not about you. My purpose is not about me. And if you discover God's purpose for your life, it's not about you. It's about a burden, or, or, or it's a heartache for others. It's far greater and bigger than you, and it's something you cannot do on your own. It's bigger than your family. It's bigger than your career. It's bigger than what you own. It's bigger than your feelings or your religion or even your wildest and most wonderful dreams about the future. It's bigger than that. In the first week of Rebuild, we discovered uh, when a person gives themselves fully to God, when a person sells out and gives themselves fully to God, he plants a seed inside of us. He plants a, a, a seed inside of us, inside of you, that will grow into a holy discontent. It will become an issue in your life. It will be something that you cannot run from. It will be something in your life that you cannot escape, and it will grow inside of you, and it will wreck your life. It will change your plans. It will change your future. It will completely change how you do life. It will break your heart. It will frustrate you. It will keep you awake at night until you must be a part of it. I mean, it, it, will, be, it will chase you like the hound of heaven. And then it will mess with your life. And it will mess up your life. Like Nehemiah God will use you to impact the world in ways that you can never imagine. And I, gotta, I believe that's very few of us as believers find that God-given purpose in our lives. And we wanted Rebuild and during the Identity and Rebuild series to help us discover our purpose. But I can say to you, God will never do something great through us until you and I allow God to do something great in us. You ought to tweet that. <laughs> That's a good one. That is a good one. See, he, he will never do something great in your life until you open your life and allow God to do something great in your life. He wants to use someone whose heart is completely his. And we find that in the life of Nehemiah. We read Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 4. And I, and I would encourage you to reread this. If you read it, I would encourage you to, to get back into Nehemiah. In the, in the month of Kislev in the 20th century, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hananiah, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and about Jerusalem. He was asking about the people, and he was asking about the city. Yeah. <laughs> they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the providence, are in great trouble and disgrace. So we see that Nehemiah was concerned about the people. His heart broke for the people. He said, they're back in the province, uh, are, are in great trouble and disgrace. He said, uh, Hananiah said, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard those things, Nehemiah said, I sat down and I wept. His heart was broken. His life was beginning to be a wreck. He was he was." overwhelmed. He said, for some days I was so burdened that I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Now, now the, the news of the walls of Jerusalem that they were broken down, uh, it broke Nehemiah's heart. And, and when he had heard the news, uh, Nehemiah's heart took on the burden of rebuilding Jerusalem. He believed the burden was his purpose from the Lord to take leadership in the completion of the work of rebuilding the wall. 
But it was bigger than that. It was not about bricks and mortar. That was a necessary thing for him to do to restore the people and to rebuild the people. His heart broke for God's people. They were scattered and they were lost and they were hurting and, and, and his heart broke for God's people. And he does something about it. For you see, it was, Nehemiah, it wasn't so much about a wall. It was about rebuilding God's people. And Gay's going to come and talk more about it. Good morning. We got a strong side over here. <laughs> well, <laughs> as we oh, continue. Oh, y'all hear that? I think that was a challenge. Oh, yeah. Good morning. Good morning. All right. <laughs> you don't matter. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, good morning. All right. Well, as we continued that series, we obviously saw the connection between Nehemiah, even Old Testament days, and to us today. Because we did a lot of external kinds of things, and God honored and blessed us. But we also knew that it was about the people as well. And we continued that, and we learned that anytime something is rebuilt, as Nehemiah was rebuilding that wall, it had crumbled, and there was rubble. When they began to rebuild it, there was unnecessary debris that was left over. You know, like on a work site, right? There are, you might see some broken pieces of brick. You might see some metal, some wood, some trash, and all of that needs to be cleaned out. Well, it's very similar to us today. In our heart, we have rubble. And sometimes we need to pay attention to that rubble so that God can rebuild it. He can clean it out. It might be rubble like confusion. It might be impure motives. There might be pride in there. And you know, all of that rubble is like cinder blocks that are just connected to our ankles and we're trying to walk this walk of life, but we're just going through sludge. And how God wants to remove all of this, the stuff that's holding us back. Rubble is anything that hinders God's work and purpose in our life. In Nehemiah, it said, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. He could see that they were working really hard, but their strength was giving out because he said, There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. And so, before God can do something in us, and before He can do something through us, before He can rebuild us, we need to pay attention to ridding that rubble out of our life. Rubble weighs us down. Rubble takes away our strength. And you know what? We all have it. We just do because we live in a fallen, broken world and every single one of us have some rubble. It might be a broken heart. It might be a betrayed spirit. It might be a bad attitude that we have. It might be this seething anger that's under the surface that we never really deal with. And only God can clean that up. Only God... As he cleans that up, then will rebuild us. And if that rubble isn't removed, it'll sabotage the something new that God wants to do in your life and in my life. There is no doubt that people live far below what God desires for us to live. And a lot of the reason is because we want to avoid that rubble. We don't want to take a look at it. We don't want to feel like a bad person. And in the process, all we're doing is sabotaging everything that we want in our life. But with God, as we look at that rubble, he begins to clean that up. And we have to name it. What is it? What is it? It might be sin. You know, nobody wants to talk about that little three-letter word with the I straight in the center of it. Because it's like, ooh, I don't want to look at that because then maybe I'll have to do something with that. But sin is anything that we do or anything that we hold on to that we know is wrong. Now, nobody has to point their finger at us. Nobody has to tell us what that is. But when we lay our head down at night on that pillow, we know what it is. We know what it is, and we have to do something with that. It might be distraction. You know, our world gives us all kinds of distractions. Even as you come in here and try to focus for about 35 or 45 minutes it's so hard because you'll have that little baby that'll cry and that takes your attention. And then you have that person next to you that's wiping the snot on their sleeve and you're going, I don't want to get that. <laughs> and it may be right at that very moment that God wants to speak to you. 
And we've got all kinds of things in our world that serve to lure us into focusing on that. And we have to be very, very intentional that we don't get distracted on the things that really don't matter. But it's happening to us every day. It might be addictions. Addictions are rubble. Addiction is anything that you crave and you can't do without. And you said, oh, I could do without it, but you find yourself on a regular basis not doing without it or overdoing it. It could be an addiction. It could be an unbridled tongue. You know, James clearly says that the tongue, this little instrument right inside of our mouth, has so much power. It has as much power as a destructive fire or a restless evil. And it can corrupt our whole body. Rubble can just roll right off of our mouth. We could gossip. We could be talking about people behind their back. We could be saying mean things. We could be using profanity. It can just be rolling right off of our tongue. It's powerful. It's powerful. Maybe it's an unhealed wound in your heart. Maybe it's something that you've dragged into adulthood you don't want to look at and you keep avoiding it. But I can tell you, if we don't attend to that, it will affect everything in our life and every relationship that we ever had. It's rubble that needs your attention. And if we avoid it, it will steal your passion and it will cut you off from God because we won't think that we need God. We truly need God when we look at that stuff in our life. It might be unresolved issues from your past. It might be some hurt, some pain, a relationship that still just gets under your skin. It might be fear. Fear can be rubble. Fear is natural. But fear and anxiety are like cinder blocks around our ankles that hold us down and weight us down and hold us back from going deeper with God. And if we don't attend to the rubble in our life, it will control us. But God wants to remove all of that rubble. He wants to rebuild us. He wants our identity to be the original, intentional identity that he had for each one of us. I believe when people know their identity, know who they are and what they were created to be, they are a force to be reckoned with in this world. And he wants to rebuild our true identity. Remember last year we built a wall up here. We had bricks. Remember that? And we challenged you to take a little slip of paper and write the rubble in your life on that little slip of paper. And so many of you brought that up and you stuck it in those bricks. And then we took those bricks and we took them out to Rubicon and there's a wall out there. And your rubble is in that wall. I hope that you have attended to that over this year. How many people did that? Took that little slip of paper and put it in that, put it in that wall. It's out there and you can go out there and, and be reminded of whatever that was so that you can know that it's under the blood or maybe you still need to attend to that. You see, we have to allow God to remove that rubble, and we have to identify it. We have to name it. We have to, we have to look at it square in the face, because when we do, then we'll know we need to confess it. We need to confess. It says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. I mean, that is one of the greatest promises that we ever have. We don't have to avoid all of that rubble. We can look at it because we can go to the Lord and say, God, I am so sorry. You see, confession accepts personal responsibility. It's not something that we do very well in our culture today. You know what? Because it's very, very humbling for us to admit when we've been wrong. It's very vulnerable. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want to look stupid in front of other people. And so we never attend to that. And the enemy still has us in his grasp. But confession accepts personal responsibility. And we acknowledge what God knows anyway. He knows everything about us. And he requires repentance. That means that we come before him and we confess whatever that is. And we do a 180. We turn away from that and we forsake it. Repentance rejects rubble. In Acts it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That is one of the greatest promises that you and I have. Now the world will never understand this. They'll never understand it without the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to them. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins can be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When is the last time that you sensed refreshing from the Lord? 
It could be that maybe some of that rubble has not been attended to in your life because he wants to refresh you and I. Confession and repentance, well, that will activate God's grace and his forgiveness. He can't give that unless we ask for it. And then we get a new start. And when we surrender fully, God then gives us the power to overcome these things in our lives that have been cinder blocks around our our ankles and have been holding us back. And those chains can be broken and we can be free and we can be a force to be reckoned for for Jesus in this world. In Romans it says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service. Don't conform to the standards of this world, but let God transform you. I'll tell you, we've got a promise. God gave Abraham all the way back at the beginning a promise. And the promises are what we live by. Because God, you can take it to the bank. Because God cannot lie. And God will always, he will always keep his word. Now see, we also discovered that if God's going to do something new in us, we talked about the rubble, but we also talked about how we need to learn to fight his way. I'm not talking about the way the world is fighting with their fist in your face and protests everywhere, not talking about that. I'm talking about what Nehemiah and what God called us to, to learn to fight his way. You see, because to accomplish anything great for God, there will always be resistance. There will always be injustice in this world. There will always be the poor. There will always be resistance. So Nehemiah teaches us how to fight for the things that really matter. You see, the people of Jerusalem were rebuilding more than a physical wall. It wasn't just that we needed all of these external things. They were also building protection around their families and a destiny for future generations. For us today, do you realize that what Nehemiah did, we're still continuing today, and we have a responsibility for the destiny of future generations. But they were, they were building protection around their families, and, and in Nehemiah it says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families. Fight for your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. Here at Salem Fields, we believe that the most significant thing that you can fight for is your family. It grieves my heart when I hear people that want to give up, that want to give up on their sons and their daughters and their families and their husbands and their wives and their church. It grieves my heart that we give up way too soon. And we're going to fight for people, for families, for husbands, for daughters, for sons, for grandchildren, and for our church, and fight for those who don't know Jesus. You see, we also, with that wall, many of you took a brick, and you took a Sharpie, and you said, I'm going to fight for my family. And there were husbands and fathers that said, I'm going to fight for my family. It's a mess right now, but I'm going to fight for my family. There were many of you that said, I have family members. I'm going to write their name on this brick. Many of you wrote the, the name of your family on that brick or the name of a loved one or the name of a friend. And we took those bricks and those bricks are now in a wall out in Rubicon. Be reminded of that when you see that wall out there. But we're going to fight here at Salem Fields. We're going to fight for those who don't know Jesus. The world out there knows religion. They know the rules. They know, well, you're supposed to go to church. I don't want to do that. But they don't know Jesus. And we're going to fight for that. People and families are in crisis everywhere. Children have been left exposed and torn apart by the drama and the trauma of adult issues. Children are having to deal with things that children should never have to deal with because that protective covering of the parents has been torn in two. And it's sad what's, what's happening to our families. It's why we here at Salem Fields are fighting. And we're challenging all of us to rebuild. That's why we've, we're rebuilding student ministry. It's why we've connected with elementary schools in Spotsylvania and Smithfield, in Port Harcourt, Nigeria, and in India. And together, last year, over a three-year period, we pledged together $1,015,000. That is phenomenal. 
you pledged and you've been giving and you're faithful and we're just about a, a year and a half into that and we're not going to ask you for more money unless you want to cheerfully give and you're not giving right now and you want to connect to something significant that God is doing. We're connected to that and it's exciting. I want to be connected to that. So we fight. We fight a, not about the petty things and, and so many people want to get us caught up in the petty things. It's not about the petty things. It's about fighting for people and families. Like the nearly 16,000 students in this area, in the six middle schools and the six high schools. It's like the people in the six mile radius around this building that don't know Jesus. For people, for families, that's who we're fighting for. So we fight. We fight so that people can know Jesus. It's about people living in spiritual and physical and educational poverty in Smithfield, families in Nigeria and India, for people living in a dump in Namibia, Africa. It's for you. And it's for your kids. And it's for us. And it's for our grandchildren and our grandparents. All people, every single human being on the face of this earth matter to God. And so they matter to us. And we're going to fight for people and for families. You see, our enemy, Satan, he hates us. He hates us. He hates anyone who's taken up the banner for Jesus Christ. And he loves it when we're torn apart. He loves it when churches split. He loves it when families fall apart. I defy him. I will not live by his reign. Live by Jesus Christ. You see, Satan is good at what he does. Somebody said, somebody said, uh, kudos to his creativity, because he's good. He knows you probably better than you know yourself, and that's why we're we're challenging everyone to find your identity in Christ. So, because greater is God's power in us than he that's in the world. And we can overcome, but we won't back down. Buddy and I won't back down, and we won't give up the fight. And we're asking for people to join us, to learn who we are, to learn our, our identity, and to grow deeper in Christ. It's the only way that we're going to defeat the enemy that wants to destroy us. How about you? Where are you at in all that? So if you... Uh have discovered your purpose in Christ, and if you do discover that, there's going to have to be some rubble that you remove from your life, and you're going to have to fight like crazy because hell's going to fight against you, and you're going to have to fight like crazy uh, for your family and for your loved ones and for your neighbors. And you're going to have to fight to fulfill the purpose that God's given you. But when it's all said and done, that will be your legacy. Your purpose and fulfilling your purpose will be your legacy. You see, the book of Nehemiah closes with a prayer regarding legacy. Nehemiah says, remember me, O God, for good. You see, Nehemiah's heart, uh, his heart cried out for legacy, a legacy for faithfulness uh, to God and his people. You know, most parents desire to leave their children something. You know, my, my mom and dad, that's, that's been one of her goals is to leave her children something. You wanna, we want to leave our kids mostly with a financial or, or, pover, or prop, uh, property inheritance. We all desire to leave something that we will be remembered uh, beyond the grave. I mean, you take a tombstone. Most of us uh, will have a tombstone. It'll be a, a tombstone we have made or one that's in the ground or a little plaque or something. But we have a tombstone because we want to be remembered. We don't want people just to forget about us, put us in the ground and forget about us. During our series last year, we discussed passing on to the next generation a legacy with, with eternal value. That's a lasting value. To store up treasures in heaven where moths and thieves can't steal and destroy is far more important than a temporal inheritance of, of money or property. And where there's no estate taxes or no uh, inheritance taxes on these legacies. You see, Nehemiah left an everlasting legacy. At the end of, uh, of the series last year, we asked all Salem fielders to leave a legacy of eternal value 
by taking their place on the wall. And taking their place on the wall literally, uh, physically, or literally meant by, by committing financially to rebuild. Just as the people in Nehemiah, Nehemiah's day rebuilt the wall and left a legacy, we're still talking about today there were 273 Salem fielders who have left a legacy that will pass from one generation to the next until the end of time. And I know as those names are scrolling, you're not paying one bit of attention to anything I'm saying because you're looking for your name, right? <laughs> well, if your name's not up there, you tell us, okay, because we may have missed it. We did our very best. And once it's done, you'll start listening to me again. <laughs> but, you know, Nehemiah's life and legacy will be recorded as one of history's greatest leaders in the history of the church. I mean, here we are, years and years, thousands of years later, we're still talking about Nehemiah. Do you realize that one of the gates that Nehemiah rebuilt is the same gate that Jesus rode the donkey through on Palm Sunday as the people laid branches and celebrated and Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could have forgiveness of our sins and Nehemiah was a part of that great event thousands of years before. He was an Old Testament hero of faith. And it took, he, took only, he, took, uh, he took city walls that were in ruins and he re rebuilt them in an incredible 52 days while facing relentless opposition, while, while fighting the rubble and fighting uh, to protect his people, even as an assassination attempt. But this, this story isn't just about rebuilding a wall. It's a story about an ordinary person, an ordinary person, a person just like you and I, ordinary, a cupbearer who sacrificed so much so that the future generations would know Jesus by sharing hope with people who were hurting. Nehemiah shows us that who we are in Christ and what we do with our lives will define our everlasting legacy. He teaches us that uh, uh, to that it's good to have our hearts broken for the things that break God's heart. He is a living example. Of what will happen if I live, if we have a bold faith? And we, he's a living example that God will fight with us and he will fight for us. Finally, we see that the story of Nehemiah is not as much about a wall as it's about a people. And I say that because I want you to get that. A wall was a practical need that Nehemiah could meet in the lives of hurting families and rebuild and giving to rebuild this building, the infrastructure, to rebuild a ministry in Smithfield, Virginia, and rebuild a student ministry. It was a practical way that you and I could meet the needs of hurting families. But in the end, for him, it was, it was more about helping people discover their heritage, to change their future, and ultimately find their place in history. See, for Salem Fields Community Church, rebuild was and, and is not so much about air conditionings, projectors, student transportation, or more space for students, or rebuilding a church in another town. It's about you, as Gay said. It's about you. It's about your husband. It's about your wife. It's about your children, your sons. It's about your daughters. It's about your grandchildren. It's about your neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. It's about your coworker. It's about the guy that you ride the train with. You know, it's about people in Port Harcourt, Nigeria. It's about people in India, real people with real needs. It's about rebuilding people. Gay and I have stood on the wall. We've stood on the wall here at Salem Fields, and for you, for the people of Salem Fields in our community and around the world, we've stood on the wall for 22 years. And we want you to know we will continue to stand on the wall. We will stand on the wall with you and for you until God says, don't stand there anymore, move on. Not because it's expected of us, it's our call, but not because it's our call, but it's because we are truly aware that we are in a battle against a determined enemy to stop us. There's a determined enemy that wants to stop us, and there's a determined enemy that wants to stop you from building a wall of protection around your family, 
It's, it's a determined any enemy who wants to stop you from fighting and building a wall of protection around our church, around our students, around each of us, our families, around our community, around Smithville, Virginia, and around the world. Now we want you to take a look at what you have done because of your incredible commitment to people over the last year. as it sounds, they really are our future. And they're inundated all the time with messages and images that don't follow the teachings in the Bible. And so if we don't pay close attention to them and show them care and consideration, that will be where they gravitate. And then we're going to lose them. like we've fulfilled our mission when somebody comes to Christ because of what we're doing here um, at the church and that's a really exciting thing because now you have somebody who is on the journey maybe not understands but is on that journey to to really figure out what they were put here for and that's really exciting. partner with that school, it was actually a breath of fresh air. Due to Hardy Elementary School being a Title I school, uh, we do have students who are economically disadvantaged. And with that in mind, our students do have challenges at home and in school. And that's where Salem Fields Partnership do come in to help us with that challenge by providing um, dinners to our families, as well as books, as well as coats. Um, so we are very um, excited about that partnership. And again, we want to continue that. the full spectrum. I've seen when we were a little teeny church with a few people, you know, trying to reach our community. And now I see us reaching our community because heaven's way too small and hell is way too big. I hope you watch closely to see that God truly did something new. And we thank you for that. It's because of your commitment and your dedication. <clears throat> that God truly has, has done and is doing something new. He's already prepared it, and now he's doing it. And we continue to trust and watch God as he does a new thing. Thank you so much. Gay and I thank you from the bottom of our hearts for your commitment. Your commitment. Those of you who have stayed around and have been here for years and you've given and sacrificed, we thank you. For those of you who just got on board last year and you've stayed faithful and you've not ran and you've stayed here, thank you. And for those of you that are new, 
We just thank you for being here and being a part of what God wants to do in this place, and we just thank you. But we still have work to do here. I mean, we've not accomplished all that we set out to accomplish here and in Smithfield and around the world. And the biggest project remaining is we want to add space. Uh, we got a lot of, you know, it's the little things that kind of eat away at the money, but we need uh, additional space in our building for students. And, and we're not here to raise money, but we're here to say if you want to be a part of that and you want to know more about Rebuild, there's a table in the foyer. You can stop out there and you can ask questions. You can uh, be a part of that. And uh, if you want to know more about it, you want to meet with Gay or I or, and talk more about Rebuild, if you want to give a million dollars, call us today. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I just want you to stop by if you want to know more about it. Thank you so much. So at the beginning of last year, we began this Rebuild series, and so many of you were connected to that. And uh, as Buddy said, we're so grateful for what God is doing. He's, he's doing something new among us. That was, uh, we paid attention to people, and, but uh, we looked at some external things that needed to be done here. Be the beginning of this year, January 2017, we began a series called Identity. And we focused on how we tend to define ourselves by all the things that really are not who we are, our jobs, our children, our possessions. Uh, we kind of allow ourselves to be led by our feelings. And what happens in the process is when we follow that path, we actually lose our identity. We actually lose who God originally created us to be with our unique, true God design. And so now, it's time to rebuild us. It's time to rebuild on the only foundation that will allow you to discover who God created you to be. Psalm 139 says, he knit us all together in our mother's womb, and he had a purpose and a plan for our life. And he, had, he knew exactly who he wanted us to be in this world. And so many things of this world tend to strip us of what that is our true identity and our purpose. And so maybe through that series, you began to discover, maybe even curious about what does this mean? My identity is in Christ. And you've never had opportunity to nurture that or to grow in that and to begin to discover who God actually created you to be. Now that's our challenge. We want, we want to do everything that we can and give you opportunities that will allow you to discover who you are, and that starts by being connected, and we are offering small groups, Kelly talked to you about that, and there's a table out there that you can go to, and we're asking you just to step out of your comfort zone, because knowledge alone, coming here on a weekend service, getting some knowledge and leaving, that is not going to transform you, it just won't. Because God designed us, his design included us to be connected to other people, not just in the bloodline or in our homes, but he, he designed us to be connected with one another. Because when we do that, we learn to love one another's. And so we can't do this thing alone, and so we're challenging you. Because see, in First Peter, we found these incredible verses that says, but now you have become living building stones. Think about that. You and I are the living building stones on which he wants to develop his house. So over the next five weeks, we're going to give you opportunity and we're going to give you experience. See, it's not just hearing, but it's actually experiencing. You know, like when you took that chemistry class and you heard the professor and said, I don't know what's going on. I don't understand. But you get in the lab and you get to blow things up. Well, that's kind of what a small group is. You get in a small group and you get to blow things up because things kind of can go haywire. But you learn how to do conflict. You learn how to do relationship in a different way. That's the design of small groups. But not only that, we, we relearn how to rebuild on the true cornerstone that will never, ever crumble. In 1 Peter, it says, come to Christ, who is the living foundation of rock upon which God builds. So he takes these living building stones, you and I, and he builds it, and he says, I am sending Christ to be the carefully chosen, precious cornerstone of my church. 
And listen to this promise. I will never, this is a promise that you can take to the bank. I will never disappoint those who trust in him. See, the small group is your opportunity to go deeper in Christ. It's the way that he designed us. If we're ever going to find our true identity, who we are, if he's ever going to be able to rebuild us, we have to do it his way. And next week, we're going to continue by looking at why relationship and why community is essential in God's plan for us to know who we are. But first of all, what we want to do is worship the cornerstone that God gave to us on which each one of us needs to build. I encourage you, after we worship, to go to the table and sign up for a small group because it's really, really important that you develop those relationships and develop the community in the design that he gave us. So let's stand together and let's worship. Jesus is our cornerstone.
you guys we appreciate you being here go out sign up for a small group out at the table if you're interested in missions uh, they're meeting in the room right there by the cafe and then also don't forget membership class starts at 1 p.m we love you we will see you right back here next week and god bless you all Christ alone.